This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Wednesday, December 16th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Genetically engineered pigs have gotten the all clear. Digging into the field of galactic archaeology. And how Dippin' Dots can help us better understand the leading COVID-19 vaccines and may play a role of their own. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. FDA approvals have been getting a lot of attention lately as the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has approved the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and is set to approve the Moderna vaccine soon. But here's another FDA approval that may have escaped your notice. Genetically engineered pigs. This marks the FDA's first ever approval of an animal biotechnology product for both food and medical use. Developed by medical company Revivico, the genetically engineered pigs could be used for tissue and organ transplants, the production of drugs, or as meat for people with severe allergies. Quoting The Verge, The pigs are called galsafe pigs because they lack a molecule called alpha-gal sugar, which can trigger allergic reactions. Alpha-gal sugar is found in many mammals, but not usually in humans. Alpha-gal syndrome, or AGS, which causes a serious meat allergy, can happen after a bite from a lone star or deer tick. Though it hasn't been tested specifically for people with AGS yet, the FDA has determined gal-safe pork products are safe for the general population to eat. In addition to their potential for safer consumption, there are several potential medical uses for gal-safe pigs. They could be used to make drugs like heparin, a common blood thinner derived from animal tissue, safer for people with AGS. Galsafe pigs could also be useful in organ transplants, as alpha-gal sugar can be a cause of organ rejection. The pigs haven't been tested for transplantation potential yet, so further research is required. End quote. Now, even though this is the first ever approval for genetically modified animals for both food and medical use, it's not the first FDA approval of genetically modified animals, full stop. Eleven years ago, they approved genetically altered goats to produce a drug in their milk that prevents blood clots. Five years ago, they approved chickens who can produce a drug in their eggs that treats people with lysosomal acid lipase deficiency, as well as genetically modified salmon who, unlike the goats and chickens, were solely modified for human consumption. Those salmon were altered to grow to market size in half the time of their non-altered counterparts. These genetically engineered galsafe pigs are not too different from their brethren, beyond lacking the alpha-gal sugar molecule, but anyone hoping to use them for transplants or drug production will have to seek additional approval. And this is just yet another advancement that could be an eerie harbinger of a sci-fi novel plot if we take too sharp of a turn. Galactic Archaeology It's not the made-up career of the protagonist of a space western, it's the very real study of how our galaxy and other galaxies came to be. 
Given our location inside of it, the main subject of many galactic archaeological studies is the Milky Way, home to at least 400 billion stars. And it's in the formation and death of those stars that we can learn a whole heck of a lot about the evolution of galaxies as a whole. Quoting Horizon, the EU research and innovation magazine, Stars, like our sun, contain a fossil-like record of all previous generations of stars that exploded as supernova, allowing us to look back in time by studying current stars. And that's the idea, to see how, from these fundamental enrichment processes by supernova, the current picture of our galaxy emerged, said Professor Dan Maus from Tel Aviv University, the leader of a project called Emerge, which studies some of these questions about the universe. To access this fossil-like record, the project is making use of the European Space Agency's Gaia Telescope. Launched in 2013 and positioned 1.5 million kilometers from Earth, this advanced space observatory is on a decades-long mission to survey more than 2 billion stars in our galaxy, the most extensive galactic survey in history. Gaia's data allows Professor Maus to probe something called the Initial Mass Function, or IMF, of stars, the relative number of small and large stars formed in a given population. By knowing the distance and brightness of such stars, their IMF can be examined, and with it, their history can be pieced together. End quote. One of the coolest findings from Professor Mao's team so far is on the origins of the Gaia Sausage, a group of several billion stars in our galaxy. Only it turns out, that grouping of stars was not originally from our galaxy at all. Quoting Horizon and Professor Maus, To our surprise, we found that they have an initial mass function that's very distinct from the normal stars of our galaxy, said Professor Maus. Their IMF, like a genetic signature, confirmed previous indications that this population of stars was swallowed by the Milky Way 10 billion years ago. End quote. Another interesting galactic archaeology study currently ongoing is at the University of Birmingham in the United Kingdom. Led by Dr. Andreo Miglio, the Astrochronometry Project is working to determine how old various stars actually are, and is doing so by studying how spiral galaxies like the Milky Way form and evolve. To do this, they're using a star dating method called astroseismology which uses the pulse of a star's brightness as well as the wealth of information provided by the Gaia telescope to determine multiple star ages at once and start mapping together a timeline of galactic events. Dr. Maglio told Horizon, quote, When you have the distance, you can infer precisely the luminosity. With Gaia, we can do it a few thousand light years from the sun, so you can start to explore different regions of the galaxy. Changes over time are related to sound waves trapped in the stellar interior. By measuring the frequency of these oscillation modes, you can work out the mass, and then you can have a very precise age. End quote. He says this model should achieve 90% accuracy and compares the method of dating to studying tree rings or fossils. Like how those can inform findings about the larger environment surrounding them, not just the specific tree or object, this method of star dating is intended to shed light on when certain events in our galaxy happened and how it evolved as a whole over time. The hope is that the more we learn about our own galaxy, the better we'll be able to understand others and learn whether our galaxy is typical of most or if there are some things about it that make us truly unique among other entities in the universe. You've likely heard a lot about how 
cold the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines have to be stored. Negative 4 degrees Fahrenheit for Moderna and negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit for Pfizer, which NPR points out is colder than winter in Antarctica. So distributing and storing these vaccines at the temperatures required, keeping up the cold chain throughout the whole process, will be a monumental task. But you know what else requires stable distribution and storage temperatures far below the minimum zero degrees Fahrenheit of most standard freezers? Dippin' Dots. The spherical ice cream of the future that you get at amusement parks and malls turns out is just as temperamental as the two leading COVID-19 vaccines, and could provide some insight on how exactly to achieve that extreme cold chain. First, an overview of how Dippin' Dots are made, quoting Popular Science, Dippin' Dots get their small, bead-like shapes from a process called pelletizing. Ingredients, milk, sugar, flavor compounds, and so on, are mixed and then dripped into a chamber brought to negative 320 degrees Fahrenheit by liquid nitrogen. The droplets immediately freeze into beads and then move into a negative 40 degree Fahrenheit freezer with doors that open from the top to prevent as much heat as possible from entering. After quality checks, the ice cream goes into bespoke disposable containers for transport. End quote. Around and on top of those bespoke disposable containers is dry ice. A lot of it. Dippin' Dots goes through 14 semi-trucks full of dry ice a week in a typical summer, their peak time. Except for this year when sales were down 50% due to amusement parks, malls, and stadiums being closed. Dry ice, the solid form of carbon dioxide, is negative 109 degrees Fahrenheit, so plenty cold for the Dippin' Dots that need to be stored at negative 49, and both vaccines, which are also using dry ice, but I'll get back to them in a minute. But dry ice has some downsides. First, as anyone who played with dry ice in science class knows, it burns when you touch it. And second, when it warms up, it sublimates, turning quickly into carbon dioxide gas. And since carbon dioxide is heavier than oxygen, it can displace the oxygen around you and cause you to suffocate, especially if you're in a small enclosed space, like, say, the back of a delivery truck. And finally, like so many things this year, supply is a big concern when it comes to dry ice. There are only a few dry ice manufacturers in the country, and Dippin' Dots needs enough to keep restocking throughout the entire delivery process. Sometimes, if weather conditions or something cause delays and the shipment is going to run out of dry ice before it reaches its destination, Dippin' Dots has to call in a third-party company to add more dry ice to the shipment. And if that doesn't happen soon enough, meaning the temperature of the dots drops above the negative 49 degree threshold, the shipment is ruined. And then the Dippin' Dots have to be stored from whenever they arrive until a customer takes their first bite. To facilitate that, Dippin' Dots makes special ultra-low freezers for the vendors. So alright, that's how Dippin' Dots manages it. What will the process look like for Pfizer's cold chain? Pfizer has what they're calling a freezer farm in my birth town of Kalamazoo, Michigan, it's a warehouse with hundreds of ultra-cold freezers, and they're working on building a second one in Wisconsin. Inside each ultra-cold freezer are thousands of vials of vaccines, stored in trays that Pfizer is calling pizza boxes due to them being about the size of a personal pan pizza. Each pizza box tray carries 195 vials. Once thawed and diluted, each one is enough, the Washington Post says, to give five people their first dose. 
So that's about a thousand doses per pizza box tray, and one tray is a minimum purchase order, which Julie Swan, a health systems expert at North Carolina State University, points out is not ideal for rural areas. She said, quote, they probably designed it with the idea that someone would take out an entire tray at a time, and for a mass vaccination clinic, that's great. It's just harder when we're trying to vaccinate priority populations and they're spread out, end quote. Because, just like Dippin' Dots falling under negative 49 degrees Fahrenheit, vaccines can also spoil. Pfizer says that their vaccine can be stored up to 30 days in those pizza box trays, but that's only if they have a constant supply of dry ice, specifically a new batch every five days. And like I mentioned, there's only a handful of dry ice manufacturers in the U.S., and they're already starting to report shortages and bottlenecks. Part of the problem is the anticipated demand. Some manufacturers say they've had offers for their entire output. But there's also a shortage of resources because, quoting Sam Rushing, president of Florida-based Advanced Cryogenics in CNN, fewer vehicles on the road during the pandemic, meaning lower production of ethanol, from which carbon dioxide is a byproduct, end quote. U.S. and Canadian officials remain confident we'll have enough dry ice, but everyone is taking precautions where they can. Pfizer, for example, has already started setting up equipment to manufacture their own dry ice. And I don't know how much this would currently be an option, but a few years back, Bill Gates' Global Good developed a portable thermos called Arctech that can store 200 vials of vaccine at negative 112 degrees Fahrenheit. That was developed for the Ebola vaccine, but maybe we can give him a call? And another company that could provide freezers for storing the vaccines at pharmacies and hospitals once they arrive? Dippin' Dots. For the past eight years, they've been selling their specially designed ultra-low freezers to pharmaceutical, agricultural, and other industries through their, and I am not kidding here, DD Cryogenics LLC. Yeah, Dippin' Dots has a cryogenics arm, and it's serious business. They sell three flip-top lid freezers and one 40-foot container super freezer, and at least one of the flip-top models is cold enough to store the Pfizer vaccine. And Dippin' Dots Chief Development Officer Stan Jones says vaccine distributors and healthcare facilities have already been reaching out about renting equipment. He told Popular Science, quote, Several people have been contacting us to purchase these ultra-low temperature freezers, but most of them want to do something on a lease basis, very short term, because once the pandemic is over and vaccine distribution kind of falls off, they don't want to have to keep those ultra-low temperature freezers. The problem with that is those freezers are special duty, and once you put vaccines in them, you really don't want to go back to putting food products in them. End quote. Fair point, but with shortages, they could end up being one of the better options. So, who knows, when you get your COVID-19 vaccine, it may just be coming straight from a Dippin' Dots Cryogenics-branded freezer. I guess Dippin' Dots really is the ice cream of the future. That is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go place my bets that the just-announced latest installment of the Indiana Jones franchise will follow in the alleged footsteps of the next Fast and Furious movie by going into space. And if it doesn't, I'm officially writing an indie-style galactic archaeologist-slash-adventurer blockbuster screenplay. So get in touch, Hollywood. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. 
This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.